You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Boys and girls, I want uh, to be talking to you guys as well as we go through this. So if you are able to read and you've got a Bible there, have a look at this as well. I'm going to read the first few verses to start with. Luke 15 on page 1048. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Supposing one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Okay, let me ask, uh, boys and girls first, why do people come to church? Samuel, let's start with you. They want to worship God, okay? Go on then. Because what? To learn more about Jesus, okay. Why would someone think, nah, I don't want to go to church? Can you think of a reason why someone wouldn't want to come to church? Because they don't know God. Yeah, that'd be a pretty good reason. Something else. Supposing I went out just now and said to someone, come on into church. What might they say, a reason why they wouldn't want to come? Go on, Sophia, then. Because of sin? Okay, yeah. But they're not going to say that. They're not going to say, I'm not going to come because of sin. Oh, they're sick. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That's me not hearing. Because they're sick. That's true. That is a good reason not to come because they're sick. Okay. Because of sin as well. But we'll come back to that in a minute. Any other reason why you think they might not want to come? Because there's football on the telly. That's just what you're going to say. Because there's other things that they can do, because they might get quite bored. And this one, the one that I thought you said about because of sin, some people think, I can't go to church because I'm not good enough. Is anyone too bad to come and hear about Jesus? Anyone too bad? No. Good. Because that's what we're going to look at this morning. People think you kind of have to be good to go. I did a wedding here yesterday, and there was lots of people here, and it was great. And I was speaking to a lot of people afterwards, and they said, oh, we don't go to church. And it was kind of like we're not good enough to go to church. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Sometimes we might want to ask ourselves, would people here really welcome me if they knew what I was really like? Jesus welcomed people who did not fit in. In the passage you just read, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, he welcomes these people. The Pharisees had a rule that you didn't share table fellowship with those they considered to be sinful. And I want us to think this morning about how we welcome, how we'd be welcome in church and what that means. Lots of churches now, they want to say we're welcome, we're open, we're affirming, we're tolerant, and we're all these things. But people mean different things by this. So I want to look at what the Bible says about what it means to be an open church, which I hope 
is what we will be. So we'll begin. Jesus tells three stories, and I want to go through each of them. Um, whoops. That's the lost coin. Now, let's start with that one. Okay. What is that, or who is that? Fraser. It's Emma Jane. Okay. Let's forget about Emma Jane. That's when she was younger. What does she have, apart from a jacket? A lamb, yeah, a wee black lamb. A Jacob sheep, in Scotland. That lamb is not very old. Uh, it's a very, very young lamb, and she's carrying a lamb. Why, why might she be carrying a lamb? Why would you carry a lamb, apart from just for a cuddle? Because they can be quite smelly. Why would you, why, why would you want to pick up a lamb? What would a shepherd be doing? If it was lost and if they're really cuddly, yeah. (laughs) That would be true. You might want to give it some medicine, or you might be taking, it might be a bit lost, and it might be looking for its mum. Well, that's kind of the story. I'll take poor Emma Jane off there. Uh, That's kind of the story. That's the lost coin. We did that one. Oops, got that twice. I'm going to leave that up there. The sheep just now. (laughs) that's kind of the story that Jesus told a farmer counts his sheep can you count to 100 Yeah, not just now but you can all count to 100 he counts sheep and he gets to the one he gets to the last number but 100 what's the number the last number before you say 100 1, 2, 3, 4, 100 what's the one before 100 99 there are 99 sheep and he's going oh missing one So he counts them again. 98, 99, still missing one. Now, what Jesus says he does, he said, all of you, if you are like that, you would leave your 99 sheep and you would go and look for the one that is lost. And it says, it's wonderful what it says here, it says that he goes and he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then when he gets home, He puts the sheep down, and he goes, knocks on his neighbor's door, calls on his friends, and says, come and rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. The sheep was worth, uh, it was a lot of money, and what Jesus is saying here is that God is the shepherd who rejoices over people who come back to him. It's not just that God accepts people, but God rejoices over people who come back to him. So you could be here this morning and you could be saying, well, I'm not a Christian or I was a Christian and I've, I've turned away from God or you should realize the horrible things I've done or the things that have happened in my life or the person that I am, I'm not really very holy, I'm not really very religious. I, why would God accept me? And I think it's an incredibly moving thing that God doesn't just say, okay, do this, 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 and this, and you're in, and we'll see how it works. I think it's incredibly moving that God goes out, and he looks for us, and he finds us, and he brings us home, and he rejoices, and he he says to the angels, he rejoices in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, rejoice that you have been found. You might think, I'm not worth that. 
What am I worth? What, you know, what value do I have? God rejoices when you return to him. Now, the other one he uses, let's read this. Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Verse 8, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, any of the, well, any of the guys as well, any of the girls, anyone got a necklace? Who's got a necklace? Anyone wearing one? You've got one, princess. Let me have a wee look at it. Have you got it on you? Oh, no, you don't have it on you. You've got it on you. And what's it? Come on, let me have a wee look at it. And who's that? Oh, it's not a picture. It's a love heart. Oh, how sweet. That's because you're lovely. Thank you. Now, no, in fact, stay here, Sophie. Come here a minute. I want to show them something. Imagine we've got one love heart here instead. But what this woman did, she had a necklace like this. And round the necklace, she would have 10 coins. So that's where she kept, she would keep her money on a necklace. You don't do that, but thank you. You want money on your necklace? No, you just... See, that, that would be very good if you had money on your necklace. Wait till I tell you how much money she had, though. Because she had a coin that's called a denarius. And a denarius, this is ties in with the sheep, was basically what it would cost to buy one sheep. Now, this woman would have been a very poor woman, and uh, she would have kept... You didn't have banks to save money in, in those days, and she wouldn't keep it under the bed. So what she would have done is kept her 10 coins worth about 10 sheep. That would be all that she had for, for all of her life. It's all her savings. She would have them on a necklace around her neck. Or sometimes they would have uh, a headscarf in which the money would be sewn into that. And she lost one. It just, it just fell. Something happened to it. And so she really looks really, really hard for it. Now, she lived in a, a, a poor house, and in those days, she lived in a house without, well, let's just think, what does every house have that we live in? Every house has, what, what does, Lucas? A roof, okay, so her house had a roof, had that, what else does every house have, as well as a roof? Walls, okay, we've got walls, what else have you got in the walls? Windows. Windows, well, when you were very poor in those days, you didn't have windows. So she lived in a house with a very small door so that if you were a hobbit, you could get through it, but not a big, tall person, and no windows. Now, if there's no windows, what's it like inside the house? Guess, because what do windows do? Dark. It'd be very dark, because windows let in the light. Look at these windows here. These lovely, in fact, we let in too much light. We have to put blinds on them. But this woman didn't have any windows. She wouldn't have any blinds, and she drops her coin... She thinks, what do I do? So look what she did. She went and she lit a lamp and she searched for it with a lamp and she got a brush as well. And she swept the whole house until she found that item, it's, until she found that coin. It's a bit like me when, when going on holiday, I always have to do this, make sure I do this at least a week before I go on holiday because if you're going abroad, what do you need when you go abroad? If you're going to go to France or Germany or passport and you can't get it if you don't have a passport and I've done this I've gone the night before and said right where's my passport oh it's in the usual place except it's not and I have to go to my study and I quick look through a few things don't find it and then I have to 
I start systematically going through everything because it's there somewhere. In all the piles of paper and in all the books and in all the files, that passport has got to be there somewhere. And you can go hours searching for it until finally you get it and you, you want to have a party with all your neighbors to say, you found, rejoice with me for I found my passport. Well, this woman rejoiced because she'd found her savings. She'd found her lost coin. And Jesus tells that story to say exactly the same thing. That it's tied in parallel with the lost sheep. But how does God feel when we return to him? How does God feel when we come back? When we've, been, we've gone away from him? When we ignore him? When we've never known him? He was, we were created for him. How does he feel when we come back? Does God say, well, no, I'm not really keen on them. No, I don't want them. He rejoices. And it's very hard. I think there are an awful lot of us who are Christians who find it really, really difficult to understand that God can actually rejoice over us coming back. And I say this to those of you who are not yet Christians and you're curious and you want to find out. You say, well, what would it be like? It is. It's like coming home to a home that you never knew you had. But it's coming home to God your Father. And those of us who are Christians, we can, be, we can wander away. And we're going to see more about that in a moment. We can wander away. And we can wander away in such a way that we think, I can never come back. God would never accept me. Well, Jesus says, actually, he does. Let's sing about that. We're going to sing the song, uh, The Lord's My Shepherd, the town in version. The band are going to lead us in that. Um, it's an image, the sheep and the shepherd. We don't uh, think very, very much about because most of us don't, haven't grown up on farms. But it's a wonderful image that the shepherd cares for the sheep and the Lord Jesus is our shepherd. Let's stand and sing, The Lord's My Shepherd. And we're going to continue reading in Luke 15 because you can imagine, and you might want to say this, the Pharisees saying, well, we understand about the sheep because the sheep wandered off. It was just lost. And the coin, the coin was just lost. We understand that. But what about somebody who's been found and then loses themselves? And Jesus tells this story in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. How is it possible that this story makes any sense? Because you read it, and it's a nice story, and you go, oh, isn't that lovely, and isn't that wonderful, and isn't that sweet, and so on. Except, put yourself in the place of the older brother. That must be mega, mega annoying, that your younger brother takes half the property, goes off, wastes it, disconnected from the family, no one knows if he's dead or alive, you carry on working away, doing the best that you possibly can, and your younger brother comes home, and your dad has a party to celebrate, not what you've been doing, but to celebrate him returning home, even though he spent half the inheritance. I mean, you've got to have some sympathy for the older brother. And I think if you don't, I I suspect that you probably don't understand what the story is about. You haven't really grasped or got in to the story. So how is it possible? How is it possible for God to welcome us when we rebel against him and when we've gone against him? Now, there are some people, they have the answer, and it's a very simple answer, and I, I don't think they understand the story either. Their simple answer is this. Jesus welcomes and affirms everyone, and it doesn't matter what you do or, or who you are or anything. Jesus welcomes you all, so you come in here, and you're part, you want to be part of this church. We're a welcoming church. You're welcome whatever you do, whatever you believe, whatever. Now, when you stop and you think about that, that doesn't really make any sense. So if someone comes in and says, well, uh, I'm here, but I like going out and uh, beating people up on a Saturday night. I like hitting my family. Uh, I like getting blazing drunk. Oh, that's okay, you're welcome. We, 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 we affirm you in what you're doing. No, that's not how it would work. And that's not what Jesus is teaching. The love of Jesus is so real that it never ever excuses sin, things that keep us from God. Sin is what keeps us from God. And if we were to, if God was just to turn around and say, I don't care about that, then we would be lost absolutely forever. Now, I'm not going to go into this in any detail, but there's a wonderful book 
by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God, uh, which looks at this story often from the perspective of the oldest son, because in this story there really are two lost sons. There's one who goes away physically, and there's another who really has gone away, uh, I think, emotionally and spiritually, because look at his attitude. His attitude is, uh, I've been slaving for you. It's not a very, very good relationship. If you're a child and you ever do the dishes, which I hope you do, I hope you don't turn around to your mom and say, Mom, I have been slaving over these dishes for at least 10 minutes. What a life I have. This is terrible. You don't think of your mom and your dad. You don't slave over dishes. I hope you're not the kind of child who, when you're asked to do something in your house, tidy your room, how much is it worth? I hope you don't do that, because if your parents start playing that game with you, you're in big, big trouble. So I think his attitude was really, really wrong. Now, I think here in this story, here's the wonderful thing about what Jesus is teaching. If we want to come to God, we have to, first of all, acknowledge our need of God and acknowledge our sin. Most people will say, I don't want to go to church and hear about God, because... I see no need. Why do I need God? They don't, people don't understand. They, they don't realize that. What do I need God for? I'm not sick. You can pray if I'm sick. That's fine. I'm not lonely. I could go to church and meet some people if I was lonely. That's fine. What do I need God for? And the reason that you need God is because you were created for God. And without God, your life will not be full. I was trying to explain that at the wedding yesterday. I said, uh, what difference does Jesus make in a marriage? What difference does Jesus make in a wedding? Every single biggest difference that you could possibly think of. Because we are not just animals. We do not just, uh, maybe it wasn't the best illustration, but I said yesterday we're not rabbits. That we don't just eat and drink and have baby rabbits. Uh, There's something different about us as human beings. We are animals, but we're more than animals. And we're created to have this relationship with God. And that has gone wrong. We are one of these two brothers. With a brother who's just said, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm away. I'm wandering. I'll live my own life. I'll do as I please. And we wander far, far away. Or with a brother who says, yeah, I want to, I'm with God. I'm religious. And yet, within ourselves, we disconnect and move far away from God. And I think in either of those cases, what we need is we need to recognize that we need God. And we need to come with what's called repentance, true repentance. We don't come to God and say, you accept me because I'm good. When someone says, I can't go to church because I'm not good enough, they don't even begin to understand what church is about. It's not for good people. Good people don't need Jesus. At least they think they're good and they think they don't need Jesus. Church is actually for bad people. Church is for people who are really struggling. Church is for people who are broken, who are wounded. Church is for people who are aware of their need. Church is actually for people who say, I've got nothing else. I'm desperate. Church is actually for desperate people. We don't come to God and say, you have to accept me because I'm good. Or you have to accept me because I behave well. Or because I deserve it. Maybe you're a Christian, you've come here and you're saying, do you know this, it was a real struggle for me to come to church this morning because... I've been so rotten this week. I've been in such a bad mood. I've been so um, 
offensive. I've, I've been so self-absorbed. How can I come and worship God? I'm not worthy to come into his presence. That's the point. That's exactly why we come. We come saying, I've got nothing to bring to this table. Look at the, the prodigal son. What did he say? He, in, in verse 17, he came to his senses. In verse 16, he was so hungry that he was looking at the pigs and he was wanting to eat the pig's food and nobody even gave him any. He didn't eat the pig's food. Nobody gave him any. He's longing to be given some of that pig swill. And he came to his senses and he said, wait a minute, even my dad's servants, if I go home, they've got plenty of food to eat and tomorrow. I'm going to go back and say, look, dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. I know that, but please let me live as one of your servants. And that's what he determined to do. And there's a sense in which we, when we come to God, we do not come to God saying, I'm here, it's me, I'm great, aren't you lucky to have me? We come to God saying, I am not worthy. I I am genuinely, absolutely not worthy. I cannot, in fact, you're really beginning to grasp what a Christian is when you realize just how utterly amazing it is to be a Christian. Utterly amazing. It's the most amazing thing that can ever, ever happen to you. But you come saying, I've got nothing to bring to this table. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. We come to God. We return to God. That's what real repentance is. You're not a Christian. You need that. You need that repentance. You need to to turn to Jesus Christ. You are a Christian, and you're really struggling with where you're at, and you feel that you're a bit like the prodigal. Don't come to God saying sorry for your, feeling sorry for yourself or being sorry for your sin, but you return to the Father, hoping and praying that He will accept you. And that's why Jesus told the story, because it's all about the acceptance of the Father and the acceptance of the family. God does accept. Rejoice. We had to celebrate and be glad. How does that make sense? See, in many ways, those who don't believe the gospel, those who mock Christianity, they, they get it right in this, that it's unbelievable. They kind of understand religion. You can be really religious and really good, and that gets you kudos with God. But the gospel, how does that work? Because the more religious we try to be, the more good we try to be, the worse we seem to become. So how can God accept us? And people don't understand at all the wonder of grace. But the Father accepts. And I think also in this, the, the family have to accept. Now that's where we are at as a church. It can be quite difficult. What if someone comes into this church? Um, there's someone I know who's just started a, a ministry in the free church. Who if you knew their past, and he'll tell you reluctantly his past, of violence and abuse and everything, you'd say, how is it possible for that person even to be in church, never mind teach God's Word? And yet he's a wonderful evangelist because God has truly changed him, and God has truly changed his life. See, this church has to be an open and welcoming and affirming place if you want to use that language and that jargon in this, that it's a home for the lost, a safe place for those who are bruised, battered, and confused, a welcoming place for sinners who want to know God and return to Him. And I guess in order to be that, it will be an uncomfortable place for those who think they've got it made, those who think they are good, and those who want to keep the bad world out. The Christian is somebody who realizes that the badness is within and that none of us could come to God. 
The Christian is someone who's grown to the extent that the Apostle Paul did, who at the end of his life said, I am the chief of sinners. Not I was, but I am. If you are, we asked in our fellowship group this week, someone, uh, Annabelle was giving her testimony and talking about a friend who was asking her, um, have you grown in grace? What does that mean? How do you work out whether you've grown in grace? Let me tell you that one of the marks of growing in grace is this, is that you are more conscious of your own sin, not less. You are more conscious of your own unworthiness. So that when someone comes in who in the eyes of this world would be considered scum or not worth talking to, you can never look at anyone like that because you can only look at them in, through the eyes of Christ and you, can, you will welcome and you will love and you will care for even the ugliest of people because you yourself are conscious of how ugly you are in terms of your own sin. I think that that's what the Bible means the, when it talks about when, the church and Jesus welcoming sinners. It doesn't mean that Jesus says, come on in and just carry on sinning. Jesus welcomes people who return to him precisely because they are broken, because they know that they're sick and they need a doctor, because they know that spiritually they are disconnected, because they know that without him there is no forgiveness. And anyone who comes to him like that is welcomed. And any one like that has to be welcomed in this church. We are broken people. We are not a church that says you can come here if you're whole. We are a church full of broken people. Everyone is broken. And Christ is the only one who heals us and restores us. And note, let me finish with this. Note, note that in all three stories, what do they end up with? They end up with celebration. We had to celebrate and be glad because his brothers of yours were dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Every single one of these stories has God and his people celebrating that something lost, someone lost has been found and has been returned. We... We need that in the church in Scotland today. We need to see more people being not added to membership of the church. We can say, oh, look how many people we've got. But we need to see those who are lost being found. Next time you travel on the bus, next time you walk down the Perth Road, next time you're, you're in a shop and looking around, just look and say, there's so many lost people here. And then rejoice when they're found. That's why every Sunday, I'm praying that over this next year, that every Sunday we'll be able to celebrate at people who've been found. And it is incredible. It is absolutely incredible uh, how, how God does that. Uh, I remember uh, Owen coming and, pray, and, and saying to us, praying in the prayer meeting through there, Father, I thank you for my new family. When you hear that from someone, you have every reason. We should have been. We, we should have burst out into the Hallelujah chorus at that point, or at least clapped our hands or done something, um, because it's 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 fantastic. I thank you for my new family. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And we rejoice at the people that God brings into this church. I once heard someone say, "Do no normal people come to this church?" And the answer is no. <laughs> We're all nuts. No, no normal people come. 
Uh, or at least, what I mean by that is this. Every single normal person, what we might call normal, is a sinner. Every single person who comes to this church is a sinner. All of us, we're not divided into the category of the, the good son, the bad son. We're all divided just simply by this in our response and our reaction to Jesus, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we are brought in and we are forgiven and we are healed and we are restored. And that's true of all of us. So no, we're not going to compromise God's Word and say that sin is not sin. We're not going to say to people, oh well, just go. you carry on with your bad temper, you carry on with your drunkenness, you carry on uh, with your abusive attitude or your racism or whatever it is. We're not going to do that. We're not going to, to, to say it's okay because it's not okay. But we are going to say you are a sinner in, in deep sin because of a broken relationship with God and Jesus welcomes you back. Jesus welcomes you back. Martin Luther, many of you know this because I've said it so many times, but it's still, to me, it's the most amazing thing about Luther. Luther taught that Christians need to repent every day. You know what that means? It means every day, you and I as Christians need to come back to God the Father and say, Lord, we're not worthy to be your children. I'm not worthy to be your daughter. I'm not worthy to be your son. And what does God do? He doesn't say, you did it again, you're out. That's three times, three strikes and you're out. He says, welcome back. And he celebrates. And we celebrate. And we do that every Sunday. And I hope we do it every day as well. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we ask you'd bless it to us. And thank you that um, though we live in such a broken world and we are such broken people, and if we were to even see a tenth of our sinfulness, we would be so overwhelmed that we would collapse. You see it all, O oh God, and yet you love us, and you invite us to return to you. And when we do, Lord, what rejoicing there is. That, imagine that you rejoice over us. Lord, help us to rejoice over one another. Help us to welcome people into the fellowship of your people here. Lord, grant that every single week in this, this year that lies ahead, there would be those who turn back from the dark paths of sin and turn to you. Lord, help those of us who are like the elder brother, that we've, we're part of your family, yes, but we've forgotten what it was like to serve you in love and joy, and now we serve you in fear, slavishly, and we resent and we become angry and cynical and bitter. Lord, forgive us and restore us, and help those who are like the prodigal son who, who took everything and went away and, and wasted it all. Lord, help us when we have done that, when we have walked away from you, run away from you, and you are calling us back. Help us to return, knowing that we are unworthy, but knowing that you, because of what Jesus has done, have atoned for our sin and that you welcome us and you clothe us, not in our own sinful rags, but you clothe us in the robes of righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because he is your son, we are your sons and daughters. Help us to rejoice in that in your name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.